if you don't fail along the way, how would you possibly learn how to succeed? Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me, I'm excited to have Drew Plotkin. Drew, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Todd. Thanks for having us. Appreciate being here. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to dive in. You've got, uh, it sounds like a pretty unique story, kind of uh, going to be, uh, I think, a fun fun talk. So a little bit about Drew, uh, Emmy award-winning producer and founder of the Launch DRTV agency, created direct uh, award-winning TV broadcast commercials for celebrities like Jennifer Lopez, uh, Serena Williams, Cindy Crawford, uh, Drew Brees, and, and the list goes on, right? That just a short list there, but plenty more. Uh, he's also the founder and CDO, the chief dude officer. I love that of the Skin Caroline Derm Dude uh, that produces products specifically for for men, and we'll dive in a little bit to that. Uh, they're primi- they're the uh, sponsor, the primary sponsor uh, for NASCAR driver Spencer Boyd. Um, and then you're also co-founded Global Mobility USA, which is a nonprofit that delivers wheelchairs to people in need, uh, which is which is awesome. So I commend you for that. So, man, with that said, Drew, why don't you give our listeners a bit more about your background, and then we'll dive in. Well, you told them all the good stuff. You know, you, you, you didn't. You know, makes me sound like a better person than I am. So, well, we're and, gonna and- dive into some of that too. <laughs> and uh, and the one thing um, we may. I don't know if it was written wrong or not, but you said Emmy award-winning uh, news producer is Emmy nominated. I only say that because it was 30 something years ago. Uh, and I don't know that anyone would correct it, but I don't want to, you know, we got nominated. We didn't actually win. Got it. it got nice it. All right. Nominated. So yeah, well. all good stuff. I appreciate you having us, Todd. That and, means uh, nothing then, right? I'm sure, uh, you, know, you know, everybody nothing. gets nominated. <laughs> no, well, I'm just joking. I, I just sold the trophy on eBay anyway, if we won. Yeah. It wasn't even eBay at the time. <laughs> so it's, you know, um, so it's all, it's all good, but no, it's, uh, it's funny when, when, when you, you read it back, it sounds, uh, probably like a more interesting journey, uh, hearing it when you're living it, it's more like a roller coaster. And I guess that's the way yeah. life should be. And that's, that's kind of how I describe my life a lot. Uh, you know, we have a book coming out, uh, uh, in a couple of weeks, um, called under my skin, um, and, uh, has to do, uh, you know, it's, it's obviously has to do with, tattoos but it's not a tattoo book so we'll get more into that um so that really gets into you know my life journey and everything that you mentioned in the bio leading up is actually broken out in much more detail in the book um because within everything you described there's just a lot of uh peaks valleys roller coasters you know i, I described it i was doing a, another interview with a media outlet yesterday and i was uh describing it as a hilarious and painful uh, painfully truthful, candid, you know, look uh, at, you know, some of the best and darkest times. And, you mm-hmm. know, and a lot of the times in those darkest times, it's it's finding a way to laugh your ass off uh, that helps pull you out of them and, and get you back from the from the valleys to the peaks. Um, yeah. Yeah. And from your world, uh, obviously, the wealth building usually happens more in the peaks than the valleys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it, it really sometimes doesn't, right? I mean, yeah, maybe the wealth building 
happens in the peaks, but the process starts in the valleys, right? And and yeah. so some of those valleys that you went through built the character and built who you are today. Um, since we've talked, since you already mentioned that, let, let's dive into some of those challenges that you've had along the way. I mean, I, I, I don't, man, it sounds like you've gone through a little bit of a few experiences, some near-death experiences. Um, man, yeah. let's dive in. Tell me about some of that stuff. Yeah, well, you know, and, and touching on what you said before about, you know, you're, you're right, at, at the at the peaks is maybe where you experience, you know, the terms of material wealth or, or money or assets, um, currency, you know, real estate, whatever is, is, is that asset. But I, but I I think you touched on something, and, and for sure, it's it's for me at least, and I think most people, it's when you're in those valleys um, where you acquire um, and really learn and gain that knowledge, that ability, the tools um, that is ultimately what's going to result in that wealth accu accumulation at the top. So I, th I think it it, it's about how you also define wealth. And I don't want to be too philosophical. I mean, if you ask 100 people, most of us are going to say the most obvious one is, is having financial comfort, the ability to take care of our family, right. our children, you know, live in a nice home, retire one day, whatever it is, go fishing in Cabo, whatever makes you happy. And then, you know, if you're Jeff Bezos, it's times a trillion. Um, but <laughs> But there's also certainly wealth in in learning and becoming a smarter person, a better person, a kinder person, a more uh, useful person to the rest of the world mm -hmm. and, and humanity and those around you. Those, those are those are huge pillars of wealth uh, as yeah. well, in, in my opinion. So so for sure, I mean, I, you know, I, I am a believer that, um, you know, and, and I, I mean this in the most positive way, it really is, because none of us desire to to want to be in the valleys you know i'm, I'm not going to bs you or your listeners and say my hope is when i leave here today that i just fall off my face and go right back down to a valley because that's where i learn the most it, it's painfully true but it's certainly you know we'd like to always think yeah. that all right we, we got what we got to get and now let's enjoy more time up here so certainly that's a reasonable goal expectation and desire that we have but it would be naive to kid ourselves and say that you know, when I'm at the top or when I'm having the most success, when everything's going great, I love those windows and I want to extend them and live in them for as long as I can. And I try to, but I really don't kid myself or BS anyone that that, that is not really where I'm learning or growing the most. That's mm -hmm. not what gets me there. Um, it's not really what keeps me there. It's, it's what I have learned and continue to learn. Uh, when I'm when I'm in those valleys and sometimes those valleys are a, a couple of hours or a couple of days and certainly a couple of years uh, as well you know at different times in my life most of us can relate to the couple of years coming out of COVID and everything else I mean there's few people who would say the last few years have been the best of their life maybe some um, but in, in my case throughout my life I've had those those windows um, that I get into in the book and, and certainly that we can talk about where I try to uh, especially looking back say man thank God for those valleys because one, I survived and, and made it through and I made it through much better, much stronger, much better person for it, um, for myself and for others around me. Yeah. You, you get into, into some of those. And like you said, I mean, so, some of them might be just, you wake up in the morning and you, you know, you get a phone call or get an email and you're like, crap, my, like, 
something like this is this is bad and you know it and it maybe maybe it goes away or gets taken care of not goes away but gets taken care of and solved in you know a day or even a few hours or a few days but then you got some of them there like you're you're in a in a time for months maybe even years um you know how do you you get in one of those funks and let's call it a long-term one. Let's, let's call it yeah. something that lasts, uh, it lasts you, you know, months or longer. Yeah. How do you, how do you not stay there? How do you get, get out of it and push beyond and, and push that rock back up the hill? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And, and it, that, that's what I try to make the point in the book is it's not a rah-rah you know, book about, you know, look at me, I'm Tony Robbins, all you need to do. And I'm not knocking Tony Robbins for people who like, you know, that, that, that line is nothing, not yeah. endorsing it or knocking it. I'm just grabbed a quick example, but usually those types of events um, and, and some of the other similar ones that I've been to of other people are, you know, show up, you know, here's why your life's in the toilet and here's why I'm flying in a fleet of helicopters, private jets and own seven islands. And all you need to do is this, but just buy this from me and I'm going to teach you how to do it. Yeah. You know, I, I'm just, I couldn't be more opposite of that. And I didn't want the book to be that because my life hasn't been that way. And one of the reasons why I moved forward and actually wrote the book, because it's very personal, it's very revealing. I share things in the book that I had not shared with anyone in 50 years, um, even closest people that were just very uh, deep, somewhat dark things that I felt uh, I, I wanted to be open about uh, in my own life and journey and how they affected me for the better and the worse, um, is that I, I almost had this uncomfortable sense of um, my life looked too good in a lot of ways to a lot of people. And it wasn't about not being grateful for the gifts and the blessings I had, but, you know, a, a very nice, very nice home in Southern California, beautiful family, a, a, a very successful, you know, thriving business. I've worked with a lot of celebrities, as you said, which while it never meant anything to me, it wasn't, in fact, I wanted to get out of that world, even though I was in it for 20 years, I, I, hmm. I didn't really want to do that anymore. Um, I, I would avoid when people would even ask me what I do for a living, I generally avoided saying, you know, director, or producer and Hollywood commercial agency, because I didn't want, oh, did you ever know so and so? Or did you hmm. ever do the commercial? And the answer was yes, in a lot of those cases. <laughs> yeah, you know, the first commercial I ever directed was with Paris Hilton, you know, 20 something years ago. Um, and it, and it brings Oh, and it's the furthest from anything that really ever interests me. Didn't uh, matter to you. Yeah. No, and, and the campaigns that I was most passionate about and to this day remember the most and have drawn from um, are, are not ones that, that generally had, you know, the big, you know, glamour A-listers or or it might have been something, you know, like, uh, you know, you mentioned, like, I think Serena Williams or Drew Brees. I, I tended to enjoy working a lot with with athletes just because as a general rule of thumb, for the most part, someone like a Drew Brees or Serena who's been honing, you know, that, that determination, you know, Serena Williams chasing balls down for, you know, since she was six years old or whatever with her yeah. dad and, yeah. and, you know, and filming with her. I remember when we filmed with her, uh, not too many years ago, uh, because she was, had not just had her child yet, but we we're filming in Florida in the sun for a commercial that was very hot out. And, you know, I, I would ask her to do some extra retakes and just to make sure we had it right for camera. And it could not have been more delightful, more sweet, more giving of her time than anyone, let alone a celebrity, which sometimes can be 
demanding of time schedules. Sure. Or sometimes, sometimes you just meet some celebrities who are just not that nice and friendly too. It works <laughs> all ways. Sometimes you're great, but she could not have been more giving. And and then at one point she took a break to sit down and, and her makeup person, Oh, could you give her a minute out of the sun? I said, yeah, you know, take as much time as you need. And I said, you know, because you know, she's going to have a baby. I, said, I, I didn't know that. And hadn't been announced yet. I think they announced the next day that she was actually pregnant. So here was this, this woman who, you know, already wow. had her endless amounts of millions was arguably the best if not one of the best you know women's tennis players or, or tennis players all around the history of the world did not need to be doing any commercials and certainly mm -hmm. could have shown up for 30 minutes and said you know hi i'm serena boom and out and gave us every second of every minute of every hour and then some and and was so you know genuine and kind that um you know so there, there's a level of of work ethic and appreciation that I also had an ability to see and say, it is not accidental how some people end up achieving their goals as well. It, it goes into that too. Yeah. I mean, that it just, she's showing up in every aspect of her life, right? She's showing up in tennis, but then she's also showing up just to do a commercial with some people she doesn't know and like yeah, money she just, doesn't need. And some people yeah. just, they don't have an on off switch. Like when you find people who are genuinely authentic and, and true to, you know, who they are, it is who they are. It doesn't mean they don't have a bad moment. And, you know, I, sure. I don't remember how I got down that tangent or what the question originally was. That's the ADD kicking in. Uh, <laughs> uh, the undiagnosed well, the, the question ADD. was, how do you dig yourself out of the hole? So, yeah. So how do you dig yourself out of the hole? Which, which for one is, I've, I've tried very hard to look at people who I find inspirational, motivational that I've been able to access directly. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes it's a celebrity or an athlete. And sometimes it could be um, the janitor uh, in a building and watching mm -hmm. their work ethic and their passion and their commitment to their job day in and day out and watching them, you know, move up or what their motivation is and what their goal is. So I think it, it's a mistake to only look at someone um, that, you know, might be too high of a figure and not look at um, everything in between off the off the on the range. For me, it, it's all about mental and everything has always been that way. One of the, you know, worst jobs I'd say that I ever had and most people, even if you've never done it, can probably relate was as a telemarketer. Um, and uh, this was probably, I mean, you know, sometimes I'm off by a couple of years with a lot of the back and forth, but it was probably about 25 years ago, roughly. And I was out in California and I'd always been entrepreneurial. So I'd started, you know, one of my various businesses and this business started to, you know, do well. And then there was a big dot com boom and kind of overnight it, it went away um, as quickly as it can be. And literally about two weeks later, you know, I was a telemarketer. I was sitting there in like a warehouse type environment, you know, a hundred different sales reps with headsets on and these big machines that are automatically dialing. And I was selling financial newspapers over the phone, you know, and a couple of weeks earlier, I was, you know, in meetings with, you know, celebrities and, and, and CEOs and lots of money on big commercial campaigns. And a few weeks later, you know, I was no different than the guy sitting next to me who had been driving a cab the week before. And, you know, there were a lot of people uh, that were telemarketing there in this particular room who'd come from, you know, local AA meetings and recovering addicts and all sorts of people from all over. But we were all equally starting over. It didn't matter yeah. what you had done a week ago, a year ago, from. six months ago. We were all equally about as bottom level as it gets. And, and mm -hmm. the couple things that I learned from that is one, it's an incredibly 
helpful, not fun, but helpful way to, to really, you know, check your ego or, yeah, or talk humbly, about the window. Right. Beyond. Beyond. And the other thing is that, you know, how fun is it being hung up on, you know, a hundred times a day? And and that is what telemarketing <laughs> is. Um, and you know, it would be the exception if someone was generally nice, you know, oh, I'm not interested, but thank you. It didn't usually go that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. usually why the F are you, you ever call me again, I'm going to rip. And, you know, as the telemarketer, you're doing, you know, what the job is saying, here's the leads, here's the calls. Oh, this person requ requested information, whether they did or didn't. And what had happened is um, I, I was, you know, again, it's such a ground zero in my mid twenties at that point out in California, did not have any money. I was living rent-free because I'd gotten a job as a building manager, uh, you know, in California. I don't know what the law is today, but at the time, if a apartment building had something like more than 16 or 20 residents, they had to have an on-site manager living there. So my job hmm. was to collect the rent, change the light bulbs, but, you know, it, it was not in the best part of town. You know, I remember, uh, and I write about it in the book, someone was like, I think six or seven days late on rent one time. And at three days, you put a notice up on the door. At four days, you do something else. And after X amount of days of not paying rent, you have a right as the building representative to use your master key and enter the room. And I went in and entered the guy's room on day seven or so of not paying rent. And he was dead in a chair with a crack pipe next to him. I mean, so, yeah, I, you know, so I, that's where I was living, um, and but rent free and uh, telemarketing. And um, I ended up probably you know, uh, within about a month, I was already earning about two, three grand a week. And this is, this is back 25 years ago. And this is and telemarketing, telemarketing, selling oh. newspapers over the phone. And ultimately I peaked out between about five and $6,000 a week and nothing, other people were not making this kind of money. Yeah. Um, and I was working about 20 hours a week. I kind of dialed it into where, you know, and the book gets into much more detail, but about figuring out, okay, here's the peak hours, here's this, here's that, here's, and I, I learned a lot of things. I did it for about 18 months and I really, it, it helped me hone so many different things of, okay, listen to who the most successful people are. Then I would go and, and sit around who are the least successful people, not to stick it in their face, but I didn't want to just learn what, what the successes were doing right. I wanted to learn what the unsuccessful people were doing wrong. Yeah. Because that's so powerful. Me, it is because for me, when something works well and succeeds, I don't necessarily draw as many useful life lessons from it other than enjoying it. Um, whereas when something isn't necessarily going as planned, it's an opportunity to dissect it and see, okay, if, if this went yeah. that way just a little bit more, here's what would have put it over the top. Um, so I, th I think there's valuable learnings in all. But I, I really immersed myself in starting back at that ground zero, like throwing the ego out the door entirely. I, I really had a mentality, uh, and I say this like no plan B. There is nowhere else to go from here. There is no backwards. <laughs> you know, you're you're kind of at the bottom of the food chain. Um, and I have a, a ta one of my tattoos on my fingers says no plan B, and that's always been so I can you know remind myself that backwards is not an option for me. And and um, you know, I, I just I really. Um, listened observed tried a lot of different things and again you know if the average person was making five six hundred bucks a week i was i was averaging five six grand i remember i i met a girl at the time and uh, she did not believe that i was not a drug dealer because i had too much cash she made me drive uh to where this telemarketing business was and wanted to see that it was a real business a legitimate company it still exists today 
uh, the financial publication. And it's like, I, I just, I've never heard of anyone making that kind of money. I said, well, you know, my back's against the wall. I get pretty obsessive. <laughs> that's uh, I've never heard of anybody making money like that in, in telemarketing. So that's interesting to see that you can actually make good money in telemarketing. Good to know for all those who are dreaming about telemarketing. Uh, here's your motivation. Uh, I'm sure well, you got guys aren't. today who are doing crypto over the phone and things like that. Yeah, right. There's also some <laughs> types of telemarketing that are a bit gray and on the edge. This, this was not, this was very straightforward and legitimate. And as I said, it's a legitimate, one of the top financial publications that still exists to this day and is in high circulation. But um, yeah, I, I know that some people listening to this who are, are probably, uh, you know, it's finding the right, the right specific job as well that has that ability to grow upon success. You know, one of the, I mean, you said a lot of, a lot of good things in there that people can take out, but one of the things I really think is important and it doesn't matter where you are in your journey. I mean, you can be just starting out, you could get knocked down like you got, and then you're now you're telemarketing, but you're building yourself back up and, and it, or you could be at the highest point of your career, but checking your ego at the door, like yeah. you it's so easy to get caught up in thinking that you are somehow better than others, or you're somehow like this gift. Uh, or you just, you know, things start going really well and you're like, man, you know, I'm just rocking. And it's great to give yourself props and acknowledge where you're going, but you also have to check your ego and you have to be humble about it. And that's some of the best things, like you said earlier, like, you're not hoping that you get down into a valley tomorrow or anything like that. But that is some of the, you know, maybe one of the best lessons when you do get those is that you're like, man, I'm not as good as what I thought. Like I need to, I need to still grind and work hard and, uh, and still need to put it in the reps. It yeah, just, it doesn't come easy. No, and I think there's there's two words that are very easily confused, and they, they couldn't be more different. One of them is confidence, and the other's ego, yeah. and they're night and day different. And big and time, having confidence is critical. Um, you don't want to have false confidence. You don't want to BS yourself. You don't want to fluff yourself. But genuinely striving towards being confident is critical. Mm. Um, you know, one one of the things I, I mentioned in the book too is another experience in life that was before the telemarketing escapade where I failed so miserably it was one of the darkest times in my life at my, my my chosen career path i graduated from college uh with a degree in journalism broadcast journalism i was gonna be a tv news reporter and all these great things and i moved you know to reno nevada and it's a whole it's a story in itself but i mean flamed out beyond belief and i could not have been just more distraught like where do you go from here you know especially yeah. back then you would go to school get a degree yeah. and that's generally what you pursued you know without a career in broadcast journalism there's not a ton that a broadcast journalism piece of paper is going to do for you yeah um especially now, in my now case what, right you know, now what? yeah and it took me six and a half years to get a four-year degree from arizona state so what does that <laughs> tell you? it's not it's not exactly like that screams come laude you know um, so it's one of those things that you have to constantly, but, but one of the reasons I flamed out in that opportunity was my, my lack of confidence. I, I had zero confidence at the most important moment. And I reference in the book that nobody ever went up to the plate in the world series in the seventh game, ninth inning 
and you know I, I used the word was sharding themselves so scared or nervous and then cracked a home run to win the series it just doesn't work that way yeah um, nobody sinks to winning putt at the masters um when they're you know when they lack confidence even if you have nerves that are falling apart walking to that final green i can guarantee you that whoever it is is confident when they're hitting that final putt that goes in or sinks that th that that three-pointer to win the nba championship and and that is that that's not ego that's building that confidence and doing it in the right way whereas where and and confidence comes from practice learning being humble as you said experience learning from others um, doing what you need to do so that when you get to that chance to the career the job the the moment, whether whatever it is, sports or anything else, that that you have prepared yourself, you know, success, you know, when preparation meets opportunity. So everybody's going to get their opportunity. Some are more lucky than others. It's a reality that more opportunities. I would always say, I don't care if I only get one opportunity, I'm going to be ready when it comes. I'm yeah. not going to miss it. And that's yeah. that's what gives you confidence. Ego is just complete BS. You know, it's it's not being prepared. It's not having the skill. It's not it's not doing anything to move anything in the right direction other than BSing yourself and anyone around you that's dumb enough to listen to whatever garbage you're spewing. Um, and that that's ego in my book. Yeah, no, I love it. I mean, there's, there's, you're, you're right. There's this kind of fine line distinction between the two. And, and some people think that some people skew them or like, or mix them together, right? This is confidence and ego and they're, they're totally different things in reality and practice are totally different things and they're going to give you completely different results you know that just because that baseball player thinks he's the best player and it pumps his chest and but if he doesn't come to that plate confident if he's if he's coming to that plate he says i'm going to strike out or i better not strike out right he's not hitting that home run but when he walks up to the plate and he's confident he knows he's going to crack that ball that's that's where the results happen, right? That big, big, yeah. big difference, big distinction. So I appreciate you saying that. Um, <clears throat> so Drew, you, you've had, you know, quite a few businesses here and, and uh, some su definitely successes along the way. And I want to dive into to, to a couple of these or really to, to Derm Dude. And then I also want to talk about global mobility too and, and dive into that a little bit. But before we do, what are like maybe like three, two, three success, um, you know, tips, things that you feel like really have helped propel you along the way? Yeah. Um, one, one, I was thinking about this when you, when we were bantering before it's um, it goes back to, to the point of the book that I, I get lost along the way. I do that often. That's one of the things I accept about myself. It's also, understand you have certain challenges and don't beat yourself up but at least own it and i, and I can easily you know go in circles around myself <laughs> at times at, 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 in my business they call it speaking drew um, and someone will just be well oh yeah they'll say hey you're speaking drew and then i realized that i'd created an own language of just being all over the place but at least yeah, i yeah. understood it now we have translators here so it helps um <laughs> in in the book to answer the question in, in my circular way, but I'll, I'll be direct with it. Um, I didn't want it to be, look what I have, look what I built, look what I made. Yeah. I, I wanted it to be, um, A, none of it was easy or natural, and B, um, here's the stuff you don't see. 
here's the stuff that I struggled with before today and will in the future, no matter what, that's part of life in the human condition. I didn't want it to be that, that, you know, look at, you know, the fleet of helicopters and not that I have that anyway, but you know, what, what that, that typical, uh, BS fluff, um, you know, motivational seminar when you see things that just aren't true. I want it to be very real. And, and one of the things that I, I say in the book, and I try to be self-deprecating, I feel that one, it's it's how I am. I, I would rather poke fun at myself than someone else. And, and I'm kind of easy to poke fun at. I've done some really stupid effing things in my life. Um, <laughs> and, and thankfully, I'm still here. Uh, yeah. Um, but I, I always say that um, I have lost and been knocked down more than most. Um, I just keep getting back up. And when you talk about the three things um, that you're asking about, that would be tips above all else is you, you are going to get knocked down over yeah. and over and over again. And the single biggest difference, and it's a statistical fact is if you keep getting back up, um, you don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to be the best. You don't have to be the brightest. It, you know, don't be a scumbag. <laughs> Try to be an honest, decent, do the work. You know, if you sit there in bed all day, you know, watching reruns of Oprah and eating Doritos and say, I wonder when opportunity is going to come knocking on my door. It generally doesn't knock on those doors. So be real with yourself. Um, but as far as, you know, when you genuinely put forth your, your best effort and you, you fail, um, damn, that, that is nothing wrong with that. And I think the word fail gets such a negative wrong rap and, you know, someone yeah. wrote the analogy recently. I, I hadn't heard this before, but I guess it's been out there for a while. They wrote F-A-I-L, fail, you know, first attempt in learning. Hmm. And I was like, man, I, I wish I didn't have to wait till I was, you know, near 50 to first hear that because I think it's brilliant. And if you don't fail along the way, how would you possibly learn how to succeed? How would you possibly know how far you can push things and how you can take things? Because real levels of success is not, you know, hitting a single and then saying, oh, I'll stop here. It's it's saying, and I, I didn't really play baseball in Little League, so I don't know why I'm using baseball analogies today. Maybe it's just more universal for people to understand. But, but you know, it's, it's when you get on first base as a single, your tunnel vision on how do I get to home plate? Because if I don't get to home plate, I don't score, we don't win. Um, so I, I believe that, that, you know, it is, how do you learn? How do you take chances? You have to risk, um, you know, one of my very first tattoos somewhere on here, I get lost. It says, you know, risicare, which was the Italian word for risk or to dare. And I was 20 something years old, but I was afraid for myself that I wouldn't take chances, that I wouldn't risk, that I wouldn't dare. And, and you know, it's funny, the book under my skin, which each tattoo tells a chapter and story and i always say oh no it's not a tattoo book and people go you're covered in tattoos it's a big part of who you are and what you talk about you have a brand of, of skincare for tattoos and, and balls and beard and i say it's not it's it's about life lessons and journeys and i'm just one big giant post-it note to myself i'm yeah I'm, I'm cheap therapy you know instead of 500 an hour speaking to someone i just i look down at my hands and you know and see you know sanskrit you know uh, learn from yesterday, live for today, hope for tomorrow. And it's like, all right, I, I need that. You know, I, I need that, you know, um, I need to be grounded that way. So that is a lot of my own tattoos or my own therapy. And I'm, I'm one big giant human canvas of a post-it note, but you have to keep getting up. And the stories of resilience have inspired me so um, and I remembered reading recently about, I, I don't know, the, I don't remember the guy's name, the full details, but he started one of the most successful online grocery shopping 
businesses right now. And what, what I found fascinating, I didn't care about how much money he's making now or the billions and this and that. And what, what stuck out to me was two lines in this big, massive article. I just kept going back to is that, that he'd been hugely successful at Amazon was like one of their senior, senior executive vice presidents. Um, and he had previously, after leaving Amazon, tried 14 different startups and every one of them failed. And wow. he'd even done a startup that was like in the online grocery world and it failed. And wow. what I went back to myself was saying, where does this person get that resilience after one being so talk about where your ego must have been as a high up in a company like Amazon making tens yeah. of millions. Very few people are probably arguing with you, except from the, you know, Bezos or from the top. You know, in those types of and structures, you're a kid. You think you're unstoppable, right? You're unstoppable. Yeah, you're you're gonna. Of course, you're gonna get out of this job, and you're gonna create amazing businesses that everybody's gonna wanna. And, and I've, I've worked it. with companies like that. I've done yeah. commercials for T-Mobile and large public companies. I'm, I'm not speaking about any one company in particular, but what happens in these companies with 50,000 people that are worth billions of dollars? you can bump into the newest entry level person on the street. And in their mind, they invented the iPhone because they work for T-Mobile. You know, So it's like, <laughs> then all of a sudden you're not with that big Papa bear anymore. And you don't have that cachet and you're not like, you know, with the Super Bowl team, you know, like you're not all of a sudden you were blocking for Tom Brady on the Patriots and had a handful of Super Bowl rings or maybe six The real Patriots fans will flame me if I get it wrong when you have six rings. Um, no but <laughs> whatever it was with the so. Patriots, I think it was five yeah. of the Patriots. Um, and you're, you're maybe you're on his line and we're a big part of that success, but all of a sudden you get traded to some other team and, and, and you come in last year's getting drilled and beat up. You probably lose that sense of in, invincibility pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, once you're not on the Patriots on that Super Bowl parade anymore. So, you know, for me, it was looking at examples like this, my whole life of, you know, it wasn't being fascinated with people's successes that always pulled me in for some reason. It was fat being fascinated with their failures prior to their successes and the fact that they kept going. And, and I think that had a lot to do with, with me, you know, tattooing no plan B, you know, Risicare, things that I was, I think I know now I didn't realize at the time, but deep down I was afraid that I wouldn't, take that chance that I or, or chances or that I would at some point you know step back or choose comfort and uh you know stability over opportunity for for true entrepreneurial you know success I love how you you you've really hit home just the failure part and you know like it's through through every successful entrepreneurial journey there is I don't know, hundreds probably of failures that came along the way. And that's what created or helped create the resilience behind that, the, mm -hmm. the willing to go, okay, that, that didn't work. What are we doing next? Like, how are we picking ourselves back up? The resilience there, that's what creates the success. It's, it's, it's so powerful. Uh, and so learning from other people's failures reading these books where people actually tell about it. So, and I love that you're open, you opened up in your book and talk more about that and the, the struggles along the way. Cause most people don't show the struggles. 
that showed the success, especially on social media. Like when yeah. you look at social media, I mean, it's just full of like, <laughs> and uh, quite frankly, I'm probably guilty or I am guilty of it. Like most of what I post is not my struggles. It's most of what I post is, Hey, we just closed on this property or whatever it is. Yeah. And, um, you know, we lost this deal, man, we're in the toilet this month. This is yeah. going to be a brutal, <laughs> we don't post that kind of stuff. So everybody sees these success stories and they go, okay, that, but that doesn't prepare you for the journey. My favorite quote, uh, my favorite quote is from, uh, the, the great philosopher, Mike Tyson, or, you know, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Yeah. You know, that's just so true. Yeah. I agree. And I, I always quote the great philosopher Yoda who says there is no uh, try. There is only do or do not. I love it. If you remember when it. he said that to Luke, uh, yeah. you know, when, when he's like, okay, I'll try. No, there is no try. There is only do or do not. That was a great, no uh, that was great. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's a great it's, Yoda. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll sometimes, you know, someone will send me something like on my team or even a, a vendor partner and be like, okay, we're going to try. And I'll, I'll I'm, uh, you know, I'll just send the three second meme and they're like, no, nah, I don't want to hear that. You yeah. know, my, my, my father, yeah. um, it's so true, you know, though. My, my father never went to college. He, he couldn't afford it. Um, and he ended up becoming uh, the CEO of a publicly traded company um, that he founded. And, you know, our relationship was very complex. Um, and, and the book gets into that more. I'm not going to get into it now. People can, read about it probably because it's it's too complex of a topic anyway to even just bring up or blurt out but but the book certainly explains it and um and there were so many things there's a chapter in the book that i i refer to as my father friend and friend and foe and he was he was my greatest friend and advocate and role model and, and my biggest foe in many ways um you know that took a lot of time uh to process and always will ha having said that one of the things that has helped me and as a kid it would drive me crazy i didn't understand it um but i i get it now and it's really helped me is you know he was in the navy he was an east coast brooklyn guy so that you wouldn't get in trouble in my house for you know cursing dropping an f-bomb it was you know two boys my dad and my mom you know it was kind of a, a hockey players you know that wasn't the issue the word in my house man if you use this word he would light up and not in a good way was if he hated that word if i f um because it was an excuse word it was a yeah. loser word it was a it was it was just you know like excuse is like one of the worst things in the world and and when we touch back onto your list of three things i'll go back to that about taking responsibility and not blaming others or feeling sorry for yourselves but i remember one time i he asked me how i did it something and i said well i you know blah 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 but if you know this had happened then i would have done and he just turned and looked at me and goes, if, if, you know, he goes, if my grandmother had balls, she'd be my grandfather. What does the word <laughs> if mean to me? He goes, it's, it's the stupidest effing worst word ever. It's an excuse. He goes, I don't ever want to hear that again. And I didn't quite grasp it at the time. I'm like, dude, someone had a bad day at, at life yeah, right, uh, right. at the time <laughs> I was a kid. But, but he was very consistent in that approach. Um, some of the things that, that benefited me tremendously throughout my life. Uh, that I learned from him was was that not making excuses and and as growing up with you know a dad who you know from as early as I can remember was never really had a job per se and that he owned his own business and through good times and bad I mean it wasn't you know I mean it's some very very hard times uh, 
especially when he was starting out. And I remember that as a kid and you can see that and read it on him. You don't understand the full consequences uh, of it. You know, what, what's dad going through or, or you know, or, or we yeah. going to be living here next year or, yeah. yeah right, um, right. And, and, but then, um, and fortunately he was, uh, you know, fairly successful in a monetary sense, you know, by most standards. Um, but, um, it was that he always took responsibility. He never yeah. walked in the door after a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, a bad report. And where he might've been mad at something or someone for something they did, he would always circle it back with it's, it's, it's on me, you know, I'm in charge. Um, I should have seen it. I could have caught it. And he didn't live in those things in the past. It was what to do different next time. Right. You know, it wasn't just, I'm going to sit yeah, here. Key and you can sit there and dwell in all of the mistakes that's only half of it. You have to peel back the onion. You have to yep. be willing to look deep inside and say, where was the mistake? Then you have to solve it. That's the biggest thing. And he was intuitively very good at that. And I always was so impressed, you know, um, and I think it's one of the things that taught me early on, not, not to be opposed to higher education, but, you know, you can get as many degrees and MBAs and whatever as you want. You either have that characteristic in you um as you grow up or you don't you're either a finger pointer and a blamer by nature or you're not and when and when when you talk about you know three tips for people to succeed and mentally pull them out of dark holes one is keep getting up keep getting up keep getting up because statistically you're going to get your shot just like the grocery guy who left amazon and and made it work um and countless others um and number two on that list is don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't point the finger. Don't blame the, the second yeah. you start feeling sorry for yourself in anything. The second you start blaming any of your setbacks uh, on, on someone else you have lost because you are no longer trying to fix the mistakes to change what you can do in your control. You have then shifted to something totally out of your control, someone else's behavior, and also something that's nine out of 10 times not true. Because to my father's mm -hmm. point and to, to the thing I remind myself of all the time is if something hasn't gone well in my business, and especially, again, starting over with Durham Dude and a startup, there are a lot of things we did right and there are a lot of things that we did wrong. And at the end of the day, I had the final say over all of it. Sometimes I didn't exert the final say. Sometimes I didn't say it clearly. Sometimes maybe I did and someone didn't listen and execute it the way that I intended. That's still on me. Yeah. That's, you know, and I can make changes. I have the power to say, no, we're going to do it this way or no, I'm going to have this person do it or no. So that's a very big difference and it's a gray area, but you got to see the difference between that, yeah. um, you know? And uh, so I think that that's a huge part of it, uh, of, of the things that make a, a big difference. Um, and, and the other one is, is really above all else, number three on that list that we were kind of dancing around, but hitting it right on is objections. Um, it, it's a little bit different than failure. And, you know, you, you kind of lit up when we were talking about telemarketing and you're saying five to six grand a week telemarketing. And now, again, keep in mind, 25 years ago, that was yeah, a lot of money. I yeah. mean, it's a lot of money today, but I mean, it was, you know, even more than even more than. <laughs> and so what did I do that made the difference between myself and a hundred other people who had the same training, the same materials, everything? The single biggest thing is that I realized out of the gate that 99% of the people I'd be speaking to trying to sell something to had some type of an objection. 
for the most part, I was not going to get on the phone with someone who was going to take out a credit card and say, oh, I was waiting for you to call. Here's $300, $400, sign me up. And, you know, I'd like a, a very expensive subscription where you make a nice commission. Let's do it. You know, thank you for calling. You saved me the trouble. Wasn't going to happen. You know, I think I did that for 18 months and maybe I had one call like that in 18 months. Most people, that is their mentality. That's what they want. That's what they expect to them. They're just showing up and doing the job and hitting the buttons and kind of being order processors, order takers, or they'll, they'll, they'll try a little bit. My mindset was always, there's absolutely an objection. That's why someone's paying us a big commission to sell this. If there was no objection, they wouldn't be paying us this big commission. They wouldn't yeah, be having this big expensive building. Yeah. And so the main thing that I focused on wasn't, if at first it wasn't even overcoming objections. It was, what is the objection? Yeah. And I taught myself that first, no matter who I got on the phone with, I immediately would ask questions, simple, disarming, but not yes and no questions. Anything that might give me information that would help me figure out why might this person object to ordering from me today? Hmm. Um, and, and it sounds simple, but yet most people don't do that in everyday life period, yeah. whether you're in real estate. I mean, you know how many real estate guys I've, and gals I've walked around with who they talk, 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 talk. And the reason they do that is they're afraid to come up for air. Why? Because they don't want to give someone the chance to object or to have a reason not to buy or to proceed. So hmm. the, the weaker salesperson or the weaker business person is thinking, if I never shut up or if I just keep fluffing and throwing stuff at someone, they will never have a chance to say no to me and all will be well. Well, yeah. it won't. They're not going to follow through. They're not going to complete the deal. They're not going to finish. You're just going to burn your time and spin in circles. There'll be a few people who might, you know, trickle in along the way and you'll get a few layups or laydowns or whatever you want to call it. But generally speaking, someone with your success in, in real estate and the things that you've done, um, you know, what percentage would you say of all of the deals you've ever closed included at least a couple of meaningful objections that you had to overcome. What percentage no, of all yeah. of your successes? Every single one of them, a hundred percent. Right. Yeah. No chance. It's not a hundred percent. So the biggest issue that I found is most people either aren't aware that that's the way the world works yeah. or they're not willing. They don't want objections. Yeah. They're uncomfortable. So once I cracked the code for myself and then started coming up with pretty basic ways to overcome these objections, you know, they figured out at this telemarketing center, the manager's like, this guy's doing something. You know, first they thought I was cheating. So I'd listen to all my calls and <laughs> be lying to them. And they were recording it. They couldn't figure it. So then finally they said, okay, you teach everyone else. And they would put a mic on me and they'd have me doing live things. And, and mm. I would tell, say to them over and over again, it's get to the objection. Everybody has an objection. And I would literally run these training courses with the telemarketers where I would do small groups and I would have people like chant with me. We love objections. We love objections because I wanted to destigmatize that to where when you hear an objection in life, whether it's business, personal, instead of a, oh, that sinking feeling of, I knew it. That is the loser mentality that it's for me. When I hear an objection, man, I, I'm, my body would perk up. I'd get ready to go because boom, now I just took a huge step forward to closing this, to getting what I needed. Huh. I needed to know what you need from me so we can move forward together. Whether it's real estate, telemarketing, newspaper, 
tattoo cream, happy sack nut love, which is our best selling ball cream. Um, you know, and I had never been on TikTok. Uh, I didn't know it. I didn't understand it. I had said several months ago that, man, if we have to go on TikTok to figure out how to sell this brand, I'm screwed because I, it's beyond me. Yeah. My six-year-old twins were playing with TikTok a few months ago and literally and I, I was going to reprimand. I'm like, why are you guys on TikTok? You know, I have, I have to, I've got to talk to your mom or I got to speak to the nanny. You guys should not be on, on TikTok, whatever. And then I'm like, wait a minute, how's that work? You put that there and I'm like, oh, look, daddy. So I came back into the office here and uh, we have a, a wonderful uh, social media person. And I was like, oh, hey, you have green and purple hair and you're less than half my age. You must know this social media stuff start working with me, help film this stuff. And, and we had someone who was throwing stuff up on random videos. Nothing had worked. I'd never even looked at it. We probably a month or so after my twins were explaining TikTok to me, I sat right here. I talked about one of our ball products, ball care, happy sack, not love. And I showed a demonstration. I literally spoke for 30 seconds, unscripted, telling a friend about it. They rolled the cameras we put it up that video now has over 5 million views um wow. that was i think a month or two ago um and and since then it really you know it's what we'd already been doing but what people have responded to with our brand derm dude has he's just a dude talking to me he's just he's not bsing me he's not pitching me he's not you know he's he's not trying to sell me snake oil he's being upfront about everything and that's all it is. I mean, our, yeah. our main Being marketing genuine. promotion for this brand is whether I'm sitting here or whether I have my cell phone and I'm driving in my Jeep when I people write in, does he really drive a Jeep with no doors and 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 smoke a cigar and you know, down the road and stuff? Yeah, he does. I mean, it is, you know, the idea of developing this brand when we did was was for me and for guys like me. And my belief was that there is, you know, a shit ton of dudes like me. I mean, there's millions of us. And you know, a lot of guys have two tattoos. A lot of guys have beards and, you know, I, almost every guy has balls, you know, and, and those are our three main categories. I mean, it's a men's grooming brand and, and, but we sell as much ball product to women as we do to men, because, you know, the reality is 99% of all people have a vested interest in great smelling balls. And, you know, and uh, it, it's just something where we read the comments and, you know, you get the trolls occasionally and this and that, but, but yeah. my, my favorite thing is, is when you'll read some of the comments on social media and say, I don't know, I, I believe this dude, he couldn't have been cast, you know, this, he, he doesn't always uh, speak uh, with proper uh, verbiage or grammar or whatever. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, people joke, they're like, uh, you know, I say that I, I doesn't sound like, like a politician. No. And I say that, you know, I really respond to 60, 70% of the social media comments as best I can. I mean, it's becoming more and more just impossible to be 24 seven. And people joking like, no, I think that really was him because there were typos and, you know, or, or he dropped some F-bombs or something. And, you know, and, and it's, you know, that was the joy of starting Derm Dude. And, and the passion behind it was after 20 years in, in, you know, Hollywood TV and commercials and celebrity skincare. And, and there's some great brands that I'm very proud to have been involved with. But, you know, I wasn't the one, you know, making those final calls or, or decisions I had a task to do. It was, you know, make the skin look great, you know, get women excited about products that can make their wrinkles go away, you know, more volumized hair. And, all the, and again, it was it was great. It taught me a lot. But, you know, I had to write and produce and direct for other people's personalities and voices and starting derm dude you know as, as a dude about to turn 50 man I, I just wanted the handcuffs off and i wanted no restrictions and i always say the best way 
to get me fired up to do something is to tell me I can't do it. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm going to F and do it. You yeah. know, I, yeah. I'm willing to listen if you say we shouldn't do that because, all right, I'll, I'll listen to that, explain it. Let's have it out. Sometimes you're right and I'll agree. And I want that feedback. Sometimes you're wrong, but tell me I can't do something. I'm, I'm fucking doing it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Andrew, we could keep talking for a long time, uh, but we do have to wrap up. So I'm going to ask you a couple last questions uh, and then we'll give uh, give you a little chance to tell the listeners where to reach out to you. So a couple of last questions here, a favorite book that you're reading kind of right now, or you've been reading, or you just got done reading. What's, what's something that you can pass down to our listeners? Yeah, there, there's a book uh, called the hole in our gospel. It's a, it's a great book by a guy. I think I get his name right. Richard Stern. Uh, he used to be um, in the corporate world and then went on to be the CEO of World Vision, a charity, uh, nonprofit. Uh, and I'm not endorsing any specific uh, charity. I know some of them have their pluses and minuses. You know, you can do your own research. Um, but this book I found uh, to be extremely genuine and, and helpful in a lot of ways. And, and again, grounding me. Um, I think one of my biggest fears deep down um, and, I, and I talk about this in my own book is, is that I will um, let ego s sneak in. Um, I will forget um, what's really important. Um, and this book does an amazing job. And when he says the hole in the gospel, he's talking about the literal hole in the gospel. And his, his definition is going back to the Bible. So but I don't find it to be a very biblical or religious book. I found it to be very um, common sense, yeah. um, you know, and, and it really helped. Um, opens your eyes to some basic things. Even he points out at one point in the book that during the Great Depression, um, Americans gave a larger percent of their money assets to charity and nonprofits during the Great Depression than hmm. Americans did at before the housing bubble burst back in, you know, whatever the last burst was. I mean, when we had the most wealth in the history of, of America, we yeah. as a whole gave less money individually to those less fortunate than we did during the Great Depression. Wow. And I think those are, are critical things that um, that we have to be aware of and remind ourselves of. We, we have to, you know, uh, use any good fortune that we do come upon uh, for whatever reason we were lucky enough and blessed enough to come upon it to uh, include others. Um, yeah. And I think I think yeah. that book was a tremendous Absolutely. reminder. So I'd encourage people to give that a read. Okay, awesome, man. Yeah, so so true, so true. It's so easy to. I think, to, uh, you know, there's, there's a, there's a lot of reasons for it, but it's just so easy just to, to, to not, you know, give monetarily, physically, you know, it's just, just so easy not to, and you actually have to make a conscientious, you know, you have to like be thinking about it. You have to do it. You have to make it a part of your, part of your routine um, just to do. So uh, last question, what are your three pillars of wealth creation? Yeah. Let's see. How do I no, narrow that down to three simple ones? Yeah. Um, one, one, one is definitely passion, hands down. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've never had success at anything that I've genuinely been passionate about. Um, you can work yourself to the ground. Yeah. If you're not passionate about what you're doing, you are not going to succeed, at least to the level that you otherwise would if you were passionate. So yeah, fine. Yeah. And don't stop looking. You know, I was nearly 50. And by most definitions, people would have defined me as, you know, successful on, you know, all outside layers. I did not see myself as successful running an agency that, that brought in, you know, millions and millions of dollars each year because 
I, I was passionate about some of the things we did, but I wasn't passionate about, you know, running an agency and all that. It just, mm. something was still missing. Um, yeah. So with Durham dude, that, that is my passion. And you know, the worst day is still my best day. Hmm. Um, so, so that's one of them. Um, you know, for me, you know, what, one of my, one of my tattoos is on my finger says lower the bar. Um, and, and, you know, for me, uh, that's a reminder uh, to myself is, uh, you don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. You don't have to know everything. Um, I always say that that I try to be the dumbest person in the room, especially if I'm the one hiring people. Why would I want to hire someone in a very specific field that I need them to grow and build if if I'm smarter than they are in that? What 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 are they bringing then? You know, I want someone that's going to bring things that I'm going to be able to pull from and others are and that they're going to take us to the next level, which kind of goes back to that philosophy that I don't even know who originated it. Now everyone takes credit for it, but A's higher A's, B's higher C's, C's higher D's. And, you know, I won't break it down. It takes too much time. You're familiar with it. But people who are confident, um, you know, want to bring on other people who are great, um, who can raise the bar. So yeah. my tattoo of lower the bar is a little bit of a of an oxymoron. It's it's being humorous, but especially when you're six four, two hundred and forty pounds, a big beard covered in tattoos, it is very common for people to underestimate me, uh, and that's always played to my benefit. Um, and I, I let them do it all day long, you know, in a business meeting or anything else. So and now now I'm sharing that, but uh, so that's one of them. Well, and then I would just say finally, um, the third pillar uh would be uh you know keep your emotion in check make it deliberate it's okay to get pissed off um but try to try to be deliberate when you are you know being emotional doesn't always need to mean losing control losing control yeah. i would say is a bad thing showing emotion is a human thing whether it's happiness celebration being really pissed or livid people need to know that too you need to I'll get pissed at myself i mean i, I need that but I'm talking about you don't want to cross over into emotion. And that's where you start to make erratic decisions and, you know, decisions that are out of bounds. Be deliberate. If you're going to be emotional, be deliberately emotional. Um, and hopefully that makes sense. There's a fine line, but it really makes a big difference. Yeah, you know, I, I think, uh, yeah, 100%. I mean, you can be pissed off, but if you lose control, you lose everybody, right? right. Uh, nope if you're not rational about it, people just aren't gonna, they're not gonna respond well. So yeah, def, definitely, man, this is, this has been uh, really good. T tons of great, tons of great information um, that you're able to pass down and look at li listeners. I would, I would take just a couple things out of this episode, something that really resonated with you, take that and really focus on it. Um, you know, spend some time with it this week and really focus on it. Cause there's a, there's a lot here to unpack and, uh, you know, I'm going to have to re-listen to this and, and unpack more. And I'm sure listeners, you're going to have to do as well. Drew, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Can learn what you got going on, you know, Durham dude and, and everything else you got going on in your book too. Uh, how can listeners get in touch with you? Yeah. So if you, if you go to dermdude.com, which is Durham D-E-R-M, and then do D-U-D-E. So dermdude.com, that, that's going to give you access to everything. Um, it's our brand. You can see the products, but you'll also see there's a lot of, a lot about us. There's a lot of our personality in, in our website. I, I don't really think, see it as a website. It's more of a community. Um, it has our whole history and story of getting started, our blog, 
Um, we're really not a hard sell type of brand. I'm just as happy for people to come and read and learn about the information and ask questions as I am if they buy something, because I believe if we inform people and answer their questions and offer them a great product for a fair value, I, I'm, I'm confident we'll continue to grow and, and do well as we have been. Um, so that's DermD.com. If anyone wants to email me directly, I, I still respond to my own emails. Nobody else does. Uh, that's CDO, as in Chief Dude Officer, CDO uh, at DermDude.com. And, and you can link to all of our social media channels through there. And the book uh, is scheduled to come out uh, the end of this month, and it's called Under My Skin. And uh, there will be a, a link to that on our webpage, and it will also be available through Amazon.com. Cool. That's awesome. Yep. Yep. Well, Drew, again, really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. And uh, man, you have a fantastic rest of the day. All right, Todd. Thanks for having us. We appreciate it very much, dude. Good luck with everything. Thanks. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. But your rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like, uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out. And, uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.